Hi there, I'm Luis, and welcome to my self-titled podcast, episode one. In this episode, I read my introductory post on remote work. It's the first of two. They're both already on my website, and I've added a link to them on this episode's description. Because of all, all of this movement and conditions that made remote work a little bit more pressing, a little bit more important for a lot of people in a lot of industries. And I'm talking about the COVID-19 virus. Because of that, I thought about writing a little bit of what I know in a couple of posts, also based on a lot of research on, you know, a lot of guys from Zapier, Buffer, Trello, Basecamp, and so on and so on, a lot of well-known remote companies. So I researched that, I researched a lot of articles, I picked up a lot of stuff that I saw on uh, Twitter, a lot of links on the impact that the, yes, it's it's the impact of the coronavirus on the economy, but uh, at the same time, it's like a second order consequence or effect of the, like the virus caused an increase in remote work and remote work caused an increase in this thing or impacted this thing. So I wrote on the first post, I cover events, how have they changed, you know, in terms of conferences. So Google I.O. has been either cancelled or moved online. Same thing for Mobile World Congress, for the WWDC was actually moved online. It's going to be an online experience, as they're calling it. But then you have other sections like economy, experiences, so what people feel about remote work, policies, how are people handling remote work, who is rolling out and we're enforcing a remote work policy, environmental impact, and uh, just statistics that I pulled from a few few uh, well surveys and, and some other places. So the, the New York Times had an article that collated a bunch of stats, so I've added all that into the article. And Buffer and GitLab and Labs. So there is, so yeah, there's a fair bit of content on the intro. And then part two which I will read on on a separate on a separate time. That one includes it's basically a guide part two, which includes like a definition of a, of a remote company, and I've created a very basic scale that challenges, benefits, principles, tooling, hiring and staffing, onboarding, and then in progress. These the following sections are in progress. They are culture, accountability, communication, collaboration, and time zones. So right now. I mean, they're both published, so you know you could just pause this and go over and uh, start reading them yourself. But I'm just going to read, basically read out loud the remote work, the introductory post, which starts by uh, clarifying that this actually started on my newsletter. I was going to do a special newsletter on remote work, but then content ballooned into like the second post is. 40 minutes long. The first one is 16 minutes long estimated time required for you to read it. So they're quite lengthy. So I moved them out into my website and my posts. I will still uh, send out a newsletter with just a few bullet points. But yeah, the posts are quite lengthy. Long story short, they're quite lengthy. I'm going to read this out loud because it may make it easier for you to consume the content essentially so you know so to begin in the last few years there has already been a sharper adoption of remote work and a little bit more awareness when a few companies going remote going mixed remote setting their work from home policies and inside and outside the tech industry so in terms of 
in terms of company categorization, like in terms of how they handle remote or how they allow remote, I simplified the scale into fully remote part and fully on-site, simply because I wanted to have a, a simple scale. But I know, I'm aware that a fully remote company, you can, for example, split that into two. Like there are companies who only work within a specific time zone, which I personally find a little bit frustrating because the mental model that I have is I want a remote work, a remote job. So I'm going to go into a job board and then I start searching, okay, which of these job descriptions are remote. And then I find out that 99% are same time zone. So we're remote, but you need to be in the US or we're remote or we need to be in the UK. And I personally don't consider that to be a remote job. That's that's just a work from home job, I guess. So I'll, I'll expand a little bit more on that later on. But what I have to say is that they're all valid policies. So you know, it's possible to do your your business in all of these three different ways, uh, fully remote, part or, or on site. You know, transitioning between them is perhaps our biggest challenge, you know, crossing that chasm of, of going from a fully on site company to a fully remote. It's extremely complicated and it's going to differ a lot between industries, some industries, industries. You probably won't be able to do that because of, uh, say, video editing. You you need there are certain logistics there that are that just make it a little bit harder. Maybe data security, like certain companies, certain industries, they require people to actually be isolated from the from the network, from the internet. So working from home in those industry industries is going to be a little bit trickier. But yeah, so you know, trans transitioning between them is going to be a little bit of a challenge. And and then yeah. I made a little, I make a, a small joke. I am, if you work with me, if you have worked with me, I'm always whistling and, and singing when I'm working. Can be a little bit distracting for other people. So I guess that's a plus of remote work. You don't have to listen to me. So, you know, like I said, subjective and objective pros and cons on each policy. You know, with a remote company, you've got, for example, access to a massive and potentially cheaper workforce, but collaboration tools and face-to-face -face onboarding can make or break the work relationship. Now, with a fully on-site, however, it's oftentimes easier to separate work from personal life, but the quality of life often suffers due to the commute, living in expensive big city hubs. You know, I was just the other day, I was talking talking to a friend and you know, he was he was describing how for him living where he lives is just him and with his salary is just impossible to actually buy a house which is an aspiration of a lot of people i live in in brighton uk i've been with some friends i've been to 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 ireland and house prices are just insane like the the, the what you get for 100k or there versus here is just absolutely insane so provided there is internet there provided that the company allows for fully remote and provided that my job can be done remotely you could imagine how living in a place like ireland with the salary that say i have at the moment even if it was adjusted for the cost of living over there you could imagine how the difference in quality of life would still be significantly better even though the salary is lower so there's that to take into account like being around an on-site being in a commuting distance of an on-site company is you know has its impacts 
in terms of limiting the the, the, the people you can hire, but also the people who, who you do hire, you're going to be, there's going to be certain impacts on their quality of life, basically. It's something to have in mind. So transitioning, transitioning between uh, on-site and fully remote is extremely hard, like I said, and mainly because you're changing processes and tools that people have already internalized and automated over many years. And when I say automated, I mean, you know, you, you don't think twice about what to do when you have an issue, when you're on site, your, your default is to go to a, a meeting, you know, like, oh, this, this thing here is, uh, looks, looks quite complex, let's have a meeting. You don't even think about it, it's not something you consider. So, because one of the principles, one of the recommendations of remote work is to don't do meetings to begin with, because sometimes, and I mean, if you have been in meetings, you know this, you know that for a lot of meetings, and there are memes around, you know that for a lot of meetings, you don't really need the meeting. It could have been an email, it could have been a message on, on Slack, on any comparable tool. It could be a lot of other things, and when you do remote, the recommendation is for you to do it asynchronously, so either through a text. It doesn't mean that it ha it starts and stops as a text message or an email. It can escalate into a meeting, but it is a behavior change, essentially. And also the transition means that you, you, you may feel that you're driving into the unknown, because you've never, if you're someone who has never done remote, you're going to have unknowns. You're going to have ideas of certain things that you don't think are possible doing remote. And yeah, that's that's something really hard to uh, to overcome. So yeah, just have that in mind. It's a behavior change and there's a lot of there's a lot that you have to it's a, it can be it can be quite a big effort essentially so it's not going to be an overnight change you have to the thing also with this change is that you know we're not teleporting from we're not teleporting the culture from on site to remote there's a step in between and we have to go through that step and when we do you have two companies two two cultures coexisting within the same company you have people who are still doing the behaviors of an on-site company, and then you have the people who are doing remote. And when they mix, when they have a meeting, for example, and you have two people, people from different cultures, then you're going to have to reconcile that. And that can be quite a big, a big, a big challenge. For example, in meetings, if you're doing a part remote meeting, so say three members are remote and five are on-site, one of the good practices is for everybody to be remote. So, yeah, so that's, the, and that's not a, an ideal scenario because there will be a power, the power balance is not going to be the same for everybody. Some people will be able to, say, read each other. The people who are remote won't be able to see everybody else in as much detail as they can see the remote attendees because those attendees are going to have a camera pointed straight at them so you can see their faces and their expressions. But you won't have the same level of detail for the people who are on site. And funnily enough, it's the other way around. So the on-site people are going to have that level of detail and communication. And proximity but the people who are remote will be sort of invisible and depending where the most loud speaker sits in if the loud if the loudest speaker or participant is in the remote team then the on-site on-site team is going to be ignored and yada yada so because of that you want to have everybody on the same 
feel on the same on the same level and that's one of the issues that you can face then when, when you do mixed remote so because this can be quite a bit quite a big of a challenge and at the moment there is a big push a big need and and barely any time for people for companies to decide what to do about remote they're being pushed into the the abyss in a way so i got off my ass on a sunday and ended up spending hours throughout the week the following week writing this article and this isn't because of my preference for any of these policies I do have a preference, but that, that, that didn't motivate me to, to write this article, not that alone, mostly because of the cultural shock that, uh, that COVID-19 has caused for companies, event organizers, health services, and everybody. So for years, a remote work has been this aspirational long-term goal that may or may not work for us, quote unquote comments like oh meetings aren't just the same when you're remote or it might work for developers but it doesn't work for management or leadership but like i've been saying the fact is after a few weeks of being forced to work remotely maybe we'll find out that things aren't quite like they aren't as impossible as we as we think and hopefully this content these two articles hopefully they'll help people achieve better outcomes at the end of that those two weeks there's a lot more there's a lot more content a lot more that has been written about remote out there you can also read that but this is my take on it so starting with events in terms of events just so this, this first article is just to set the context in terms of events like Google I.O., Mobile World Congress, <laughs> South by Southwest, and a few even smaller and bigger events have been cancelled, unfortunately. Others have been moved to purely online events. Let's see how that goes. Because they're, you know, traditionally you have the like the mingling after the the, the sessions. Uh, the sessions themselves i mean if you've been to any conference, the sessions themselves are not the the, the, the highlight of the of the event you know you talk to people after and you maybe you talk to speakers maybe you talk to other people what did you think about that presentation have you done this in your company all that all of that conversation let's see what happens when you do it online and if people are going to a take that into consideration i think they will and b okay even if they know that's an issue let's see how they solve it online I think Zoom is quite good for that with their, you know, the breakout rooms and chat and that kind of stuff. Other tools similar to Zoom may support it as well, but we'll see. You know, you have, you also have crucial networking and sales events, not just informal chats. A lot of these events, they, 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 their purpose is to create these pitches and you know, start pitching to a client and all that. But yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what that. How that plays out. Good news on the events is that it's well, it's not a good news that it's a pandemic, but it's not the zombie apocalypse. It's not an apocalypse, and so it's going to be very, very hard for a lot of people. But we'll get back to normal eventually, and whatever normal is. Things will change in about a year or two years' time. Things will change. So I just want to say that you know uh, we're, we're being forced to run these experiments with remote and all that when. It would be nice if we didn't need to in certain scenarios, certain, yeah, versus certain people. Economy-wise, it's interesting to see stocks like Zoom going up. I mean, let me actually check as I record this. I'm going to open the Stocks app and now it looks actually, oh yeah, yeah, look at this. Zoom has gone up by 15%. Everything else is dropping and 
basically these people they they benefit from from the need the increased demand for for conferencing software and zoom does have a good product already it's also funny that some people are buying the wrong zoom stock apparently because it's listed under two tickers but and people just i don't know quick not been perhaps not used to buying stock they just go for the wrong ones that's kind of funny in a way remote conferences can actually be cheaper because you don't really need to rent the the venue i've seen a tweet about even a vr conference that you would assume that would have added uh, i don't know logistics or something like that or streaming infrastructure but it cost them 300 us dollars for 150 sessions 6,000 attendees ran over the course of six days. So that's kind of interesting. You know, you have a lot of conferences in the design world and other industries where, you know, you can pay three, four K or something like that for the conference. And I don't know to what extent that is based on the networking value or just the name of the company and order their brand. And then they justify that brand through higher prices. Or if they do that to limit the people who actually attend, who knows? I kind of wonder if the being online only is going to change the costs uh, and ticket prices of these companies and maybe frequency as well. So, yeah, one thing I learned was that stock markets have circuit breakers. So if things are going really bad, you can just opt out of continuing going in that direction, which is kind of interesting. So because they dropped, I think, 10%, they, the market just halt. Okay, let's pause reality. Supposedly, well, not suppose. I, I, it's quite validated that the productivity should increase once you cross the chasm of being able to do remote. Like staff employee should increase. Sorry, staff productivity should increase. And interestingly enough, there's also people who seem to think that the productivity comes from harming employees. So they, you know, productivity increase through overwork which is a problem with remote work. But it's interesting to see that if in one, on one side, employee, employers think that, okay, remote, I actually buy into remote and it's going to be great because productivity is going to increase. Other people are afraid that the reason the productivity increases is because people are put into worse situations, squeezed, squeeze the productivity juice out of them and burn them out. In terms of experiences, how, you know, what people have been feeling and experiencing by doing remote work or, or anything remote, for example, Twitter did their first global all hands, the, 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 the end of the week meeting. There are at least three people who enjoyed it. I found it on Twitter. It's kind of interesting. Some people dislike remote claiming it benefits the employers more than staff like i said there was a funny i don't know if it was actually real or someone just uh, just making a joke there was someone saying that remote is going to not ruin his life but would force him to have to cook and make coffee and and all those bits those really hard things in life caregivers and people with disabilities and illnesses that's what i find that's what i find quite interesting in remote because for them remote is a lifeline you know if you can't commute to the office then remote work is really your your best option uh, and it's not a nice thing it's not lucky which is the 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 feeling that most people associate with remote when people are asked oh how do you feel about working remote oh i'm really lucky i could work on site on the in the office but this is this is actually a little bit better for some people people who need to take care of their family older older people or they just can't 
go to work, commute to work. For them, this is a remote is actually a, a lifeline. And I'm kind of interested to see how the, the increase in remote because of demand and just the circumstances, how that is going to change things for, for these people in the long term. There was a there was a comment around not being possible to build empathy with remote workers when you're working remotely which people seem to disagree. Just, you know, the solution is just to listen to them. And if you care for your co-workers, and I think you're going to be building empathy anyway. And it's kind of funny, the you know, how many blockers and how many, uh, how many things people say that are not possible or true with remote. But yeah, we'll see how that plays out. There was a funny tweet. You should read the article. There's a funny tweet about dress codes when you're remote. You know, the, the funny, the joke that you're just going to be working on pajamas and etc. And there was a nice, uh, there's a funny illustration on that. Uh, I read also experience, like first-hand experience with remote from an article by a GitLab employee. I think this was months after uh, they joined the company. Uh, and basically the summary is that they found it hard to to tackle communication at first. It was hard for them, I guess, because it was different. But they realized that they were able to, fo- able to focus better. They could like get straight to work instead of spending time commuting. I personally feel the same. Prior to this, I was commuting about an hour and a half up to London, which is just a waste of time. I mean, I could do work on the train, but the internet and all that is just like, why and, uh, and this person also says that being able to travel actually going on you know, a travel between countries and all that while still working while still being productive is also a big plus in in remote work for this person and i spoke to someone spoke to someone directly as well because it's quite nice to you know you have these not preconceptions, but you have this perception. Your perception, your own perception of remote, either good or bad, is going to be different from other people. So it was nice to talk to to someone who was explaining how the water cooler moments were actually quite important to them, and they 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 were they fear that they would basically they feel fear the loneliness, which is actually one of the top issues that you have with remote workers when they start. Especially if you're single, you're just going to be home by yourself doing your work with a text, a bunch of text in front of you, like, you know, a Slack or something like that. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I personally, I, because my perception isn't really that. I don't really get lonely uh, and other people feel the same. Uh, I'm very happy to be, you know, just myself, just by myself and, and working and focused. But, you know, this is a real issue. And I write a little bit about this on the guide, I, you know, basic thing. You already call other people when outside of the work context. So just do that. Just have chats, just have topic channels like, you know, for cats, for for travel, for other bits, interests. And then people get together on that to get to chat, to get to be a a little bit more social. And there are other things like pairing people randomly on, on video calls. Sounds weird, but it may work. And just talk to people, talk to friends, talk to family and all that. Like, you know, you have a phone, you have a computer or even just the phone. Phone is so capable these days. You can do anything in terms that that I mean, it, it can do whatever communication method you need. Like some people, they don't like texting, so they do voice messages and you can just shuffle, uh, shuffle voice messages back and forth. Or you could do FaceTime or, or the equivalents. You can, you yeah. And then the water cooler moments, I guess. Yeah, I guess the channels and other bits can compensate for that. But 
would be good to get feedback on this, listen to more people who, who feel the same and see also ways that they have overcome that. That would be quite interesting. So, yeah, and I guess the one other thing, so we're still talking about, actually, I, I, I grouped quite a few experiences here. So we're still talking about experiences. I was I spoke to a different person who works on a video, at a video uh, editing company. And the reality there is that you have people who are not full-time workers. They're freelancers, contractors, or temporary. They, they joined the company temporarily, but they use company-owned hardware, expensive hardware, and a hard, and, and hardware that's not a laptop. It's not necessarily portable. So it's a little bit of a challenge for that kind of company to to allow for remote work. Like, what do we do? And even if the hardware isn't expensive, it could be that you work at a place and you have two screens on there, you have your keyboard and you're quite used to that setup. And it's quite important for you when you're working from home to have a setup that you're comfortable with. You know, it, it's not enough that you're having to change the way you communicate with people, you collaborate with people. On top of that, if you have different hardware, like all of these things, it's just not going to be a good experience when you're working remotely. So, and in this instance, the person I was talking to, they had uh, a security breach. So one of the common solutions for accessing these more powerful desktops is via remote desktoping in. But because this company has had IT issues and they're not a very big company, they're, they've got small, limited IT resources, that's just going to complicate things. Like the, the amount of time that we're being given to get together our remote working policies and infrastructure and, and setup just isn't ideal essentially and yeah i mean I've, i think i've already spoken about people who deal with sensitive data like patient data even though you can use just a laptop and you could use like a phone to call these patients you're talking about sensitive information so if you live in a shared home it's not going to be ideal if you work at a co-working space and you're going to need a dedicated room so there's all of these intricacies around certain jobs that could make it a little bit more complex to work remotely but yeah i mean there's going to be a period of adaptation but companies that stay in that middle of where half of the people are doing remote half are doing on site the companies that stay in that middle area are going to struggle a little bit more it's always clear to have just one way to do things. And maybe some people won't adapt to it. You know, it may be like it's such a big difference, such a big change that they won't adapt to it. And and maybe they're not even willing. You know, stubbornness definitely will happen. And yeah, a lot of articles just say that remote is the future of work. Like I said, I believe that all of the three these three types on site remote and mixed they're all possible ideally not the mixed and so it's not necessarily the future of work that's quite a broad blanket statement probably a marketing article but it can can become the default for more than the 20 percent that it is at the moment it could flip uh, maybe 80 percent could be remote or 50 percent could be remote and the other 50 on site but I think it's it's going to shift, basically, and that's the interesting thing. In terms of policies, I looked at education and tech. So education is interesting because it's something that can be done remote. Like when we were looking at events, there are some, and I guess, I guess work as well, there are some work as in tech, as in office work. There are some interactions in education that aren't necessarily... I don't want to say transactional, but it's not, they're not one way. It's just 
it's not just consulting information you may be in a, in a work group you may have a few other a few other in interactions that usually happen physically on site and it's education is not necessarily an industry where you know you have the biggest amount of biggest number of companies working remote so the the culture <clears throat> is different it's not as established and also the the solutions because if you have more and more people doing remote in education then you're going to have more use cases and more solutions more stories and it's going to be easier to know what to do okay how do i conduct these these things online or i think that looking at a computer talking to my students is a very bad experience for me but if as things grow within education maybe it'll be clearer how this is not necessarily how it has to be that the, the, this bad vision is not necessarily how it's going to be so in terms of education we'll see how things go but we've got i collected one two three four five six examples i guess or three or five examples of company or of organizations or, or groups of like companies who are moving over to remote universities and all that who are moving over to remote classes i have spoken to someone in education and yes their concern was you know it's not it's not the same thing to do it online but we'll see we'll see how that goes so harvard and a few other universities have so this was actually this was actually quite tricky because they gave people five days to evacuate the campus which is like saying you have five days to evacuate the country like it's just it's it's crazy and it has led to quite a lot of uncomfortable situations but yeah they're trying to switch to remote classes there are a few one two three or five other universities that i have looked at who did the same thing there's a university there's a local university here is going to be switching to remote courses by the end of the week and like i was saying earlier it's not uh, an industry where there's plenty of examples of, of remote learning in the sense i mean there there are there there, there is remote learning God, there's there's a lot of it online and all that but there's there aren't examples where that is the common practice for a university <laughs> like the whole university this is what we do you've got the the what was it, open university where they kind of do that but they still have their in-person contact points even that is not going to be possible with if you if you have lockdowns uh, so it's a little bit of an unknown territory if that makes sense interesting that the department of education the u.s department of education endorses remote classes not that these universities needed the green light i mean they do need a green light but it's not that you know like uh, we don't know what to do and there's also a couple of other institutions larger institutions supporting this so i guess support is coming from the top you've got the green light and they if they're giving the green light they're going to be giving guidelines as well i think i've seen some guidelines this is actually not on the article but i've seen some guidelines from let me actually check just about remote work like how to do how to do remote meetings and basically a step-by-step -step, like you Usually when you have these guys that tell you how to install the, the, the Wi-Fi certificate to access your university Wi-Fi and all that. So they made a list and they have a video on how to do meetings, talking about Zoom and a few other bits. Uh, so that kind of content is going to surface, which is good. And yeah, um, there's some people are writing articles claiming that remote work for posts sorry for postdocs it's actually going to be beneficial they're going to be more productive and all that i'll see about that 
And there is actually a Twitter hashtag, COVID campus, where people are talking about this in education. And yeah, in tech, in tech, there are quite a few companies who are moving their interview processes to uh, to just purely online, skipping the on-site. Coinbase published well-being guidelines, which is quite nice. Like I said before, it's a big issue with remote work, keeping your mental and uh, physical well-being. So it's really good that companies are publishing this information, which can also be used by in, in, in education and other industries because you know, they're quite generic things like doing some exercise bodyweight exercises at home if you have to self-isolate good hygiene in general all of this is uh, is uh, transferable netflixparty.com for example to watch netflix in group there are a few a few nice things there read the article because the link is on there in case you you want to you want to get more information on this like i said google stopped on on site interviews and they sus- suspended work on site requirements for north america unless you're a contractor which is quite mm dubious but and then shopify microsoft facebook and apple have all issued work from home policies although some employees are still going in because for example at apple their confidentiality requirements basically they don't allow them to take hardware that's in development to take it home so you know the, it's like it's like the video editing and and other scenarios where you know for, for, for some people it may not be possible the upside of that is that uh, some people are saying because 90% are working from home, then you know there's fewer people in the campus, so it's yeah, it's kind of okay. In terms of the environment, the pollution has significantly uh, lowered in both China and, and Italy, at least. I'm sure other places where unfortunately the lockdowns are being enforced, so that's going to change as well. But the connection to remote is that if you're cutting the commute for a significant percentage of the population i would expect that to be actually a benefit for more people like the on the bay area when and then palo alto and just california around san francisco area all that where they don't they hadn't enforced a lockdown but it was already visible how much less traffic and commuting there was i didn't see any specific pollution map that i would imagine actually let me check because you can check on apple maps you can check the aqi air quality index let me just jump over i mean this is not going to be <laughs> it's not really a scientific test but just and i don't have a comparison term or uh, for how much it was before but aqi in san francisco is currently on the green i don't know if usually it's worse or not traffic let me actually enable traffic map traffic enabled and what time is it minus eight hours yeah so 10 a.m or something yeah seems quite light so you're gonna have you're basically gonna have that kind of impact which is kind of interesting and less commuting in seattle as well let me see what i was looking on here Oh, it's just traffic. Just someone posted a tweet of a traffic, how much traffic there was before and after this happened. So, yeah, I mean, commute pollution levels and, and remote, yeah, those remote may help with pollution, which is quite interesting. And finally, you've been listening to my voice for, let me check. I can't actually check. I don't know how to. I'm using garage, but oh, time for 42 minutes i've been listening to my voice for 42 minutes and finally we're in the stats section 
where I have, I should actually do a list of stuff where we have Buffer, we have New York Times, we have GitLab, we have OWL Labs, two surveys from OWL Labs. So five big surveys that I went through and extracted some highlights. Uh, I outlined the, the cohort, who they, who these people spoke to, who they surveyed. I think we can pretty much say that they surveyed US, US workers. Most of them were US-based uh, remote workers. Some of them were on-site still, but if you look at the stats, that's basically it. And for these people, I mean, I'm not going to go through all of the highlights because there are, there are quite a lot of them. But for example, in terms of benefits, unplugging is the biggest challenge for remote workers. So, you know, you can, you, it, it's a lot because you don't have the commute, which is, I guess, the benefit of a commute is that separation between working on site and working remotely. So you naturally stop because you can't work whilst you're walking to your car or driving your car or on the on the underground or tube so <clears throat> you naturally get that separation and when you're working at home it's a lot harder i have i have experienced this like you get to say if you're doing a nine to five if you're stipulating a schedule where you're not doing more work beyond five it's gonna it's gonna be really hard to enforce that but you have to get into the discipline and the stats show that for example for this was the buffer state of remote in 2019, 22% said that unplugging was the biggest challenge, followed by loneliness, 19%, collaboration and communication was 17%, and distractions at home were 10%. Then you had smaller challenges like time zones and reliable Wi-Fi. It was interesting to see that with even with unlimited vacation, 60% only take three weeks off or less. Like the distribution was actually a little bit, maybe two weeks for the majority, but I kind of averaged and rounded it up to include the smaller percentage that actually took three weeks because most of them was one to three. And I guess the average, no, actually it was from one week to four weeks. So <clears throat> yeah. And the average was three weeks. And yeah, I mean, the survey, I'm just going to go through a few bullet points on all these. Uh, most of the remote workers work from home, 84%, which is not really the recommended uh, habit. But I guess that's going to be subjective. Just because at home you have more distractions and it's hard to separate work from life. But yeah, it's up to people. 91% this is kind of interesting. 91% of the people who work remotely have always wanted to work remotely. Dubious, like always, since you were a kid? Since you were like, I don't know, 13? Daddy, daddy, I want to work remotely. It's my aspiration. I want to be an astronaut working remotely. I don't know. But it is interesting. On the New York Times out of the office survey, they have, for example, 43%, so this is a US cohort, 1500, 43% spent at least some time working remotely, which I guess, you know, shows how remote work is you know, growing in popularity. Gallup, this company, they find that remote is actually a key staff hiring. Uh, and retention factor. I mean, if you, if you look at the market at the moment, if you put out a remote job description, you're going to get a lot of applicants because there's not a lot of supply, basically. So it does make sense how it 
helps them with hiring, finding potential new staff, and in terms of retention because of this, the people who actually manage to get the work-life balance right. People usually say that they, in the, the, the time they used to spend commuting, they spend it with their family, they spend it just resting, spend it doing exercise, and that just creates a better job satisfaction. If you can do that and you can do the work, like it makes sense that it helps with retention. I think the figures were something around either 25 or 50 percent more retention for remote workers which is quite good there's also parenting like it helps with parenting i've spoken already about uh dependents being able to take care of dependents but there's also like within that group you have you have parenting it helps you a little bit more and i guess this survey also highlights how people are more productive working remotely I think it was a 13% increase in productivity, but that's going to differ a lot, I guess. But there is definitely an increase. There's a lot of uh, research that suggests that remote does help you uh, work better. It's obviously dependent on, I don't know if, I don't know if it's fair to say it is dependent on your personality, but it's dependent on your planning. Like if you don't have things planned and prioritized, regardless of your role, then it's going to be hard to be productive, but that's the same thing if if you were working on site. And the GitLab one, the interesting thing was that 50%, so this is to do with principles of working remotely, so 50% of the work in a company defaults to shared documents instead of private ones because they're doing remote work, which is a good default to have anyway. You could have it as, on, as an on-site company, but remote just forces you to have that. Um, so I, I, you will find, uh, or um, you will probably, I don't know if you'll agree, but as I read these stats and I do this research, I find that remote is basically a catalyst for a lot of good behaviors. The documentation, making sure that things don't get lost. Like if you need to go back to a decision, you have it in writing. Why we make, made this decision? Why? Who were who the people uh, involved in the decision? Who is the owner? Sometimes that just gets in an on-site environment that you just jump into a meeting, you make a decision uh, and then you forget about it. You don't really document and then a week or two or three later, as I've seen happening, people just like, oh, why are we doing this again? Or even worse, people don't ask and then they do the work. And then you find that two sprints later, people have diverged into completely different ideas. So this documentation first principle, which is crucial for remote, it's just a good practice, really. This survey reflects once more what people appreciate more with remote, like 34% appreciate having more time to care for their family, and 53% value the, the flexible schedule, which is another thing that's tied to the principles of remote work and just good principles in general, like focusing on outputs instead of inputs, focusing on the value that you provide to the company instead of how many hours you're doing, because you know the working eight hours on something that no client wants that's not going to give you a lot of value for the company and when you work remote it's to ensure that people still enjoy the benefits of working remotely it makes sense to measure the outputs instead of the the hours all of these things are all connected all uh, all you know tied together and with remote being a catalyst for you to change your processes into something that's more efficient tools according to the survey and i think i agree uh, tools aren't really an issue like we don't need 
the tools to be created to be able to work remotely a lot of the stuff a lot of stuff already use uh, google docs already use zoom already use slack or, or microsoft teams or skype and all, all 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 of these tools are things that you don't really you're not really hearing about them for the first time they already exist or and even if you're hearing about them for the first time that's actually a good sign because it means that they don't need to be invented they're there if i tell you that if you want to do what was I? I was looking i was reading a tweet earlier where someone was asking now i need to do more remote teaching so what's the best tool give me a tool where i can do where i can talk to students where i can see them where i can share my screen like that's that's for someone who's not used to zoom that could be a question but it's not a tool that needs to be invented so that's a really good thing about remote it's that the, the, the tools are here it's just about creating the visibility and awareness and familiarity with these tools and you're good you're sorted there was an interesting thing in this survey where 66 percent connect with other remote workers so for fighting that loneliness factor not only they connect with their uh, co-workers but also remote workers in their local area and yeah so and then finally 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 our labs they did they do apparently they do a survey every year and they seem to switch between us only and global so on a global survey in 2018 they surveyed 3000 people they do have age ranges in there and 23 country, country, countries and six continents and globally 56% of global companies allow remote i don't actually have like a previous global survey but it's interesting to see and 32% of the respondents said they couldn't work remotely which is yeah it's just just a number it's a shame so 29% can only do one day a week or one day a month and then like for in terms of all remote companies only 18% worked for all remote companies this is quite a small cohort and you don't really know yeah i don't really know how they actually distributed this so yeah take these numbers with a pinch of salt doesn't mean that 80 80 18 percent of a global workforce is all remote but yeah and again the top reason for doing remote is the increase productivity and 20 they're 24 percent happier so they compared the people who respond to the survey they compared the ones who work remotely versus the ones who are on site and 20 the, the ones who are working remotely were 24 percent happier interesting a lot of probably a lot of stuff behind this it could be that they surveyed only or they distributed this through uh, channels where people who work remotely who work in jobs that can be done remotely who have been doing the job for maybe four years where they have already adapted therefore their happiness is going to be higher but yeah and yeah like finally their u.s survey u.s only survey in 2019 their cohorts are usually fairly small just like 1200 people but it found that the remote salaries average 80k us dollars to, to, to what else is interesting here nothing surprising like most of them in it with 18 percent of the respondents working in it 80 percent of the people who are still working on site want remote and here we have some numbers on happiness like 22 percent happier when working remotely and then we have a few other numbers on here that you can go through in the article in terms uh, related to managers uh, issues in mixed remote companies and career progression 68 percent of remote workers feel like it doesn't really impact them in terms of career progression and yeah you've got a few other numbers i list the sources well as well on this article 
And uh, yeah, that was it. That was the remote work intro. Thank you for listening and feel free to provide feedback wherever I end up sharing this, not on Twitter or somewhere else. And yeah, thanks.